Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. In today's episode, we are talking about traveling. And Cheryl, I always think that I am a lot like a hobbit when it comes to traveling. So the <laughs> the creatures in the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. universe by J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes. Very suspicious of adventure. <laughs> you know, homebodies. <laughs> they like to be home. But there is a streak in them um, that leads some of them out into the world on very big adventures and quests and journeys. So I really identify with hobbits and I'm excited to get into some of the depths of what can come up for us when we travel out in the world, Mm. especially right now during this Mm. time of COVID. Yes. Well, I think you just perfectly encapsulated the highly sensitive person with that hobbit description. (laughs) of being very suspicious of what's out beyond the comfort zone of home, but also having an adventurous streak. And so I think sometimes we think of highly sensitive people as not being adventurous, but I have not found that to be the case. It just takes us a little longer to get there, and we have different requirements and conditions for um, the adventure uh, to be successful, I think. Mm. Um So I was going to start with a little story about our older son, Everest, and his relationship to travel and how it has evolved over the years. And I think it elucidates a lot of of the points that we're going to talk about over the next hour or so. So most of you know, Everest um, is our firstborn. He's about to turn 17. He is highly sensitive, and to me, he's this incredible real-life example of what happens when a highly sensitive child's needs and rhythms and temperament are honored, Um, what can happen when they are allowed to go through life at their own pace, when they're not forced to speed up in any area of their life. So he was... um, I would say on the very far extreme end of high sensitivity as a baby and had a hard time leaving the house. Um, And one of the things we were talking about, Victoria, in terms of travel is that I think in its very basic definition, travel means anytime you leave your house. That constitutes traveling from one place to another place. So as a baby, he really didn't like leaving the house. He didn't like going to the grocery store. He hated the hated the car. Hate, I know a lot of babies hate the car, but he really hated the car. <laughs> um he but we did actually do a lot of traveling his first couple years of life because we were trying to figure out where we we were going to move. We were in Los Angeles at the time and we didn't want to raise him in LA. So we did a lot of airplane travel and he was always really great on the airplane, which was interesting because now he wants to be up. Well, now he is a pilot. Um, But when we moved from Los Angeles to Denver, it was um, very traumatic for Everest. He did not adjust well, even though we did everything we could to ease that transition, tried to do it as consciously as possible. He was two years old. And um, it was really, really hard for him. So that was that would be a whole other episode on moving. That is an entirely different transition. But of course, moving requires traveling. We did get on an airplane, flew from Los Angeles to Denver, and started our life in Denver. And for the first several years in Colorado, um, again, his aversion to leaving the house was on overdrive. It was even more intense than it was when we were in Los Angeles. And we had to do a lot of um, shenanigans, <laughs> incentives to even get him to like go to a museum um, with Dave. Dave wanted to take him out on Fridays and give me a break. And, and Everest loved the airplane museum always, but it took a lot to get him there. But overall, we were able to tend and nurture and honor his rhythm around leaving the house. Um, 
I did take him on another airplane trip during that time. We went out to California to visit one of my best friends. He was just over two, so it was close to when we had taken the trip out for the move. And we got on that airplane, and he grabbed hold to the seats in first class. <laughs> we were not sitting in first class. And... <laughs> And would not budge. He would not get on that airplane. He was so traumatized from our previous airplane trip that in his little body was still associated with the move that he refused. And of course, we had to get on the airplane and we did. That trip was really, really hard. But we came, we made it and we came back. And over the next many years, we raised him in a way... Um, that communicated the message to him that your needs and your rhythm and your temperament, your sensitivities are completely valid and totally honored. That didn't mean that we never left the house because that's not a life. So we were constantly dancing that line between pushing him just enough outside of his comfort zone that he could start to expand and grow, but not too much where it would create trauma. Um, and that was years and years and years. And every parenting decision we made was in service of honoring his temperament. And he had separation anxiety. He had sleep anxiety. He had ev all of the textbook classic anxieties of the highly sensitive person. And we just did our best to keep listening and keep tending and keep honoring um, until we could see that something was starting to strengthen inside of him. There was that internal central tree trunk. It was, it was getting stronger. We could see his root system getting stronger. And, um, you know, we, we were homeschooling at that point. So we didn't have to push him out in terms of school. Um, he did end up separating on his own timetable and, then grew into his early teenage years where he was, we started to watch him naturally wanting to adventure further and further and further away. Um, and he, you know, got his pilot's license and he flew in the glider when he was 14. So there he was up in the sky away from us alone. Um, this past summer, he went to space camp in Alabama, flew on an airplane across the country by himself. And now there's really no, there's no stopping him. He, um, he wants to be an astronaut. He wants to go to the moon. He wants to go to Mars. He literally wants to go to Mars. And it's thrilling and it's heartbreaking and it's horrible and it's amazing and all those <laughs> things as his parent. <laughs> um, but from the perspective of raising a highly sensitive child into adulthood, to watch the degree of his travel anxiety, um, shift and transform over the years incrementally. It wasn't like one Hollywood moment. It was a slow transformation from, I will never leave your side. I'm going to hang on to your leg for the rest of my life to, I can go out into the world. I can travel by myself. I can spread my wings and fly as far and fast and high as I, as my soul wants me to go. Um, and so it, it's, it, it brings to mind this analogy that I think I first heard through Rachel Sampson, um, a friend I made through Instagram. She has the handle Australian psychologist, and she writes a lot about high sensitivity and she writes about highly sensitive people being orchids, that we need specific conditions in order to thrive. But when those conditions are met, we bloom into the most extraordinarily beautiful flowers. So as we spiral into this topic of travel and travel anxiety and what, what that's all about, um, I just wanted to start there with, um, I think, a story of what can happen when we are honored? Obviously, we can't go back in time literally into our childhoods and make it be different, but we can 
learn to meet our inner child and show up with that loving parent using travel, like we can use anything in life as an opportunity to look at the ways in which there may have been ruptures around our sense of safety, ruptures around when we were pushed out of the nest too early, either, um, you know, a womb nest or a sleep nest or a home nest and giving room, making space, really opening up the conversation around travel so that it's not just, I have anxiety around travel. What's wrong with me? As it's so easy to do in our extroverted ideal culture, a culture that reveres the extrovert and sends the message that we are supposed to be out there and go get him and go, go, go. And travel's amazing and everybody should love travel. And, and travel is amazing. And getting out of our home environment is important. And in any way that we do that is important to expose, have exposure to other people and other cultures and other ways of living. But um, if we can open up the conversation and shift it out of that shame realm and look at what's underneath while also recognizing that travel's not for everybody, um, I think it will, I think it will be hopefully a big shame reducer, bringing a sense of compassion and then opening to that realm of curiosity of, huh, what is triggered for me around travel? What are the old wounds? What are the current unmet, unlived, unspoken places? How can I use travel anxiety as an opportunity to heal? What's really standing out for me is that idea of honoring your needs and accepting yourself mm. for who you are and where you are. Because when I think about my relationship to travel and definitely being a highly sensitive person, it's been really it's been a struggle sometimes to honor my needs because I just have this idea in my head of, well, I should just really want to travel and really like travel and I should be more adventurous and I should be more go with the flow and I shouldn't need mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. So sometimes I've just pushed myself too much and then mm -hmm. I said to you, Cheryl, before we started recording that every time, almost every time I've done a big trip, I've ended up sobbing at some point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Usually it's pretty early on, actually. And then hopefully it's like we work through it from there. Like we get through that and mm -hmm. adjust mm -hmm. some things. But mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting because, you know, my boyfriend Martin is super adventurous and loves travel and he's gone to lots of different places and when I try to just go, okay, I'll just try to travel with him the way that he travels, it doesn't end well mm. for anyone. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> no, and I think it's so important to name that piece. But something you said stood out for me, Victoria, and that's this expectation or this should, I should be mm -hmm. a go with the flow, mm -hmm. spontaneous, easygoing person. Highly sensitive people are not go with the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> We're just not go with the flowers. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean we can't become more flowy and more spontaneous around certain things. But I think it brings home the point of why traveling can be so anxiety provoking. And I will say that this is very alive for me because we are getting ready to travel in less than a week and we haven't traveled in a really long time. And so it's it's living in me this pre-travel anxiety that for me starts probably about two weeks before we're supposed to leave, but sometimes even earlier than that. Like if I see our travel date on a calendar and it's a month away, I'll, I'll have a little bit of relief. Like, okay, it's still a month away, but also a little bit of anxiety. Like, oh my gosh, it's only a month away. Mm -hmm. um, and then as it inches closer, my anxiety builds and builds and builds and I have to work with that and unpack it and uh, unpack it um <laughs> and um and be and 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 utilize my tools my skills um so that I'm not just anxious leading up to a trip I don't want that to be my experience 
But one of the things I, I do is I remind myself, and I say this for all of you who have anxiety around travel, I think it's really important to contextualize why it's scary, why it brings up anxiety. For a highly sensitive person, we very much like what's predictable. We do not like change. We, we like our routines. We like, we like being at home. So there's nothing more disruptive. What could be more disruptive than leaving the comfort zone of home, the familiarity of your bed, your food, the food that makes you feel good, your routines. So it's this home is this place where your roots extend down into the earth and you have a sense of safety. And highly sensitive people thrive when we know what to expect and we struggle in the face of uncertainty. So travel can bring that challenge right into our face, right? It disrupts everything. And so this makes sense. Traveling is a transition. It's a transition. And like we said, it can even just be the traveling of leaving your home can be scary for a lot of people, um, can be anxiety provoking. Even if it's not full-blown fear, there can be a layer of anxiety. You are leaving the comfort and safety of home. You are walking through that doorway that is the signifier that there's a transition happening from inner to outer, from home to world, from one space to another. And it's it's an uprooting. It's a risk. Who knows what's going to happen out in the world? And when we understand that, when we contextualize it, and we say, yeah, of course. So of course there's going to be some anxiety. Yeah, you know, I find myself thinking about you know, you have your whole course called Trust Yourself. Mm. And so many people find your work because they are highly sensitive because they're struggling with anxiety, but also because they're struggling maybe with self-trust and making decisions. And I find myself thinking about how learning to honor your needs really starts with that that planning packing i mean even before the packing mm-hmm. starts with the planning of deciding yes where you're going to go and when and for how long and with whom and what mm-hmm. where you're going to stay and what activities you're comfortable with and how comfortable you are communicating your needs to whomever you're going to be with because it's funny but when we were laughing about how highly sensitive people are not go with the flow. But I think there's an overlap of people pleasing where there is a lot of going with things that you don't want. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. And that can feel like, oh, no, I'm just go with the flow. You know, I'm happy to do what other people want, but it's more of like a people pleasing Mm. or a fear of, Mm. of really stepping into your wants and needs and feeling comfortable making those decisions and feeling okay about it, knowing yourself and trusting um, that it's okay to yes to make decisions that honor your needs. Um, and that starts with like the planning of the trip itself. I find that's something that mm-hmm. I'm just learning to get more comfortable with is mm-hmm. starting off by being really honest with myself in that planning stage and with the other person or people that I'm going to be with and Mm -hmm. finding that balance of pushing yourself enough but not pushing yourself too much. It's so important what you're saying about the self-trust, which is so intimately linked with self-knowledge. Do I know myself enough to even identify what it is that I need? in terms of my travel rhythm and my travel experience. Um, And this is where every experience in life can become an opportunity Mm -hmm. to heal those places. And so travel so powerfully brings up that question of self-trust. How were my needs overrided growing up? How was my rhythm overrided? around such basic 
things, food, sleep, movement, and all of that comes into play when you are planning a trip. Where are we going to eat? And planning that, planning an experience that's going to be positive means identifying what do I need? What, what are my non-negotiables that I just know that I need in order to thrive? And I can hear it even as I'm saying that, that, uh, that highly sensitive voice of self-doubt in my audience saying, but that's so, you know, that's privileged or that's not that people would be judging me, but judging their own selves. Right. Like, right. I don't, I don't get to say what my food needs are. Mm-hmm. I don't get to say what my, I'm not even sure what they are. And even if I do know what they are, I have to just be the pleaser. And so that, right, taps back into what you're saying, Victoria, of what part of me is annihilating, ignoring, invalidating what I do need in order for this to be a positive experience because I'm so used to making it okay for everybody else. Yes. And how can I then do this differently? And maybe I just take one of those areas and I take it in small manageable doses to do it differently next time I'm planning to travel. We say, I know it's scary and we're going to do it anyway. And these are the measures we're going to take so that it's not too scary. Mm -hmm. And this is how I'm going to take care of you and tend to you and be with you in herself um, so that we can push ourselves out of our comfort zone and have an, an expanding experience which can help us grow as a human and can help us heal those old wounds that might only get reopened around something like travel or moving, something that disrupts our sense of place and our sense of safety to that degree in such a physical way. We've been talking about how there's such opportunity for healing around bringing more compassion to yourself, honoring your needs. And there's also opportunity relationally to grow or to learn more about the person or people that you're with Mm. and your patterns together. And you said something before we started recording about the family vacation and things that can come up. I'm curious, (laughs) is that something that you could talk more about? Yes, yeah, so important to name this. I was I was thinking about writing a blog post about it, but I will expand on it here. I think there is so much expectation around a family vacation that it's going to be fantastic and we've spent this money and we've done all this planning that as always where there's expectation for one experience like it's going to be joyful and happy, inevitably another experience comes in. Um, because it's too much pressure and we tend to fold under that kind of pressure to, it's like a wedding or an engagement. You're only supposed to be happy. Well, that's not actually what's going on around any of these transitions. So it's a setup, this idea of the happy family vacation. And of course, you know, we have all of these images in our minds of the happy family vacation of, of what we think it's supposed to be like. And we're supposed to take all these photos and then we frame those photos and we put them all around our house and look at our fantastic family vacation that we had when we went to Catalina Island or whatever it is. And the reality is not always that. So for our family, traveling has been, for the most part, really wonderful as overall. But almost... Every time we go away, and interestingly, this happens more when we go away locally, like when we go up to the mountains in Colorado, than when we go someplace at a distance um, by plane. And I don't know why that is. But when we go away locally, almost invariably, we will have an enormous explosion of some sort, either between my kids or between Dave and I and one of our kids. And... What tends to come from that, as painful as it is, and in the moment, all I'm thinking is, but we're on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't supposed to be happening. Um, 
what comes from it is often something really positive, something that needed to be said, some kind, something that one of our kids was holding on to, either about their sibling or about us as parents, that just didn't come out in daily life. So vacations and travel tend to create some downtime. I mean, unless you're just, all you're doing is going, 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 going. But no matter what, it's, it's a separation from normal life. And so there's going to be these gaps, these times that allow for something important, even if it's painful, something important to come to the surface and be expressed. And I think that the, the course corrections that we've made as a family and as parents, probably 90% of them have come from those horrible, horrible blowouts that we've had on vacation. Wow. There's also so much more we're doing this together. Even if you spend a lot of time together at home, um, mm-hmm. there's all yes. these decisions about activities or not doing activities and different people's different expectations and different people's travel styles. Like Martin always wants to do more faster and I want to do less slower, you know? Yes. yes. <laughs> so yeah, I just think there's so much opportunity actually to communicate and it's when there's a lack of communication about expectations about different wants, needs, desires, Mm -hmm. um, comfort levels, and things like that. That's when things can really boil over. But then at its best, you can have conversations that maybe you wouldn't always have when you're just kind of in your routine at home. Yes. And I think the two are linked because I think a lot of our blowouts happen um, because somebody doesn't want to do something. Yes. And it hadn't been agreed upon yeah. Um, ahead of time. There was just an expectation. We're going to go hiking in the Rocky Mountains. And somebody says, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to. And, of course, we're raising our children to have a voice, which is <laughs> a double-edged sword. But they have no problem saying no. Um, and so, but it, it brings to focus, it, it, it brings up onto the table of conversation um, that that bigger piece that are we overriding? Are we overriding too much? Are we honoring? Are we listening? Are we validating? Um, and it's a really tricky thing as parents because it's not exactly a democracy. We are the parents. Um, but but to speak to, to this point, it's it's often only in travel when there is that level of togetherness, when we are doing things with the four of us day after day after day, that those undercurrents, those patterns get exposed. And it's, it's so wonderful to have that level of togetherness. And like I said, for the most part, and I feel so blessed that we, we travel really well together as a family and we have really quite wonderful um, travel experiences, but then there is this layer that, that comes out and I'm grateful for that too, as hard as it is. And so, and so again, as always in the framework of there's this opportunity to course correct when you're traveling, like in relation, relationally with each other in a family dynamic. And there's an opportunity to do a couple of layers of healing around any trauma, any pain that might be living in there around separation. Um, And I think that's the piece that really is called up. It's around separating because by definition, travel is a separating. You have to separate right, from home and go someplace else. So it's, it's tracking back and being curious and what, how were those separations handled? in my life, around sleep, around school, around travel, around summer camp, around going to a friend's house. How was that honored or most likely not honored or perhaps even over-honored, right? Overindulged Mm. in the sense of like, well, you don't have to do that if it's too scary. Right. I'm curious about the grounding practices and the spiritual practices that you call on when things do get 
rough or rocky or uncomfortable as inevitably things are going to at some point Mm -hmm. in traveling. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I know that's a, I know that that's a big part of it for you is being able to find that grounding because I think it's so interesting, like how much we see the world and other people as a threat versus how much we see people as generally friendly and wanting to be helpful and the world Mm. as exciting and, you know, Mm -hmm. inviting. Mm -hmm. Um, When you see it, it's like the world is a threat. Other people are a threat. It's just full of threats out there. You know, Mm -hmm. you really need that spiritual Mm -hmm. practice or just something that you find grounding where you feel like, I don't know. I just have this image of like a turtle with its shell where like the turtle is carrying its home with it, right? Like the Mm. turtle can choose to retreat into the shell, not necessarily in a scaredy cat way to mix my metaphors, Mm. but like when it needs that protection. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So like how can we carry carry that good protective shell Mm. with us wherever Mm. we go? Yes. So for me, it's it's spiritual practice. It's the practices that I can bring with me anywhere I go, leaving the house, in the car, on the airplane, in a new environment. When you said the turtle under its shell, what came to mind was was my prayer shawl, my talit, mm-hmm. um, and sitting under it, right, bringing it over my head, this big white rectangular fabric, and bringing it over my head. Um, when we had to evacuate for the flood in 2013 and we just had a few minutes to grab stuff, that was one of the things I, I grabbed was my talit um, because I knew it would be a grounding cord. It would be a shelter. So it's like creating a temporary shelter, creating a sense of home like that turtle shell wherever you go. Um, and for me, it is... It's through prayer. It's through poetry. Um, when I left my kids for the first time to go on an airplane, when I went down to Albuquerque, and um, that was 2019, and I was so scared. I was so, so scared to leave them and to travel by plane. Um, and I learned a prayer in Hebrew that's called the Traveler's Prayer. Um, and it's a very old ancient prayer that's basically, it's a very long prayer. Yehi ratzon milfanecha adonai eloheinu ve'elohea v'atenu v'himotenu. That's, may it be your will, um, basically God of our ancestors and our mothers and our fathers, ancestral matriarchs and patriarchs, that we be guided in safety, that we be led to safety, that we be protected, that we... Um, that we use our hands in service, that we bring good into the world. And so there's that, there's that flip from the world is a scary place and I have to hide and cower and protect myself to, oh, I'm, I can enter the world, step out into the world as an offering to bring to bring goodness, to bring, and that was a, that was a work trip. And so for that trip, it was very much, please let me be of service. Please, it was for my book and please, please let my book be healing and find its way. And I kept envisioning like wings on my books that would, that would find their way to whoever might be helped by something in the book. So the prayer for me is a shelter of protection. The talit is a shelter of protection. Um, sometimes I'll say that prayer even when I'm going to sleep, which is, you know, we talked about that in the nighttime episode of that other kind of transition. But it's, it's, it's a traveler's prayer. It's what, do I, what am I asking for and what am I bringing with me and what am I hoping to to bring into the world. Anxiety is, it's a very um, self-absorbed state. And I don't say that with any judgment. It's just, it's a state that, that brings us very much internally into this very small place in our heads. 
where we kind of shrink down. And when we can tap into something more expansive that anchors us and grounds us in a sense of safety and a sense of being held by something bigger, maybe it's, um, maybe it's an ancestral figure in your own lineage. Maybe I know for many people it's, it's mother Mary or it's, um, it can be a tree. It can be, um, anybody that, that gives you that sense of I'm, I'm protected. I'm not alone. I can be guided through this birth canal, this passageway of a traveling transition um, with somebody. I can be accompanied. And so when I'm sitting on the airplane, I will say the traveler's prayer. When I arrive at a new place, mostly I just say thank you. Thank you for the plane landing. And Thank you for, you know, bringing us to this new place. And that's embedded in the prayer. Please bring us safely to our destination and home again. And so it's just a way for me to send my anxiety into something else, into a vessel where it can be transmuted where it can where I have a sense that it's being held it's being handled right anxiety thinks it can control everything and this is the letting go of ultimately it's out of my hands whatever happens and let me set my intention to to bring goodness to bring something good into into wherever I go Yeah, Cheryl, you and I have talked about this before. I can't remember if it's ever come up on the podcast, but I find it so helpful to look for, like I, I've called it, looking for guardian angels out in the world. Or, mm -hmm. you know, there's the famous Mr. Rogers quote about mm -hmm. looking for the helpers when something bad happens. But like you said, with anxiety being that kind of self-absorbed state, it is so helpful for me to look outside of myself at the people who are helping. Even just, mm. I was at the grocery store two days ago. And like you said, during this time of COVID, especially just going to the grocery stores, like traveling sometimes. And I heard an older man say to this, the person who worked in the grocery store who had helped him find something like, thank you, you just made my day. And she said, no, you just made mine. And mm. <laughs> just noticing small moments of people taking care of each other out in the world. Mm -hmm. And when I, when people in some small way take care of me, like taking note of that and, mm -hmm. and then noticing when I'm able, like you said, when I'm able to do that for other people, like I, the last time I took a trip and I, had a layover on the way to my destination and I was sitting in the airport and there was some confusion about when our flight was going to leave and this girl was sitting next to me and kind of struck up a conversation and I was feeling really nervous and anxious and so I was so grateful she was next to me because we got to talk a little bit and it was distracting and it was comforting and at the end of our conversation when we were going to board the plane she turned to me and said I'm so glad you sat down next to me I was so nervous and it was like we just we found each other we took care mm -hmm. of each other for a half hour mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I just find that really really helpful so helpful and so beautiful and it, it's that again it's that flip and that reframe from the anxious mind that assumes that only horrible things are going to happen mm -hmm. like I'm gonna leave the house and our kitty's not gonna be okay and what if something this and what if that and all the what ifs to what is it like to step into a different assumption that chances are everything's going to be okay? And instead of assuming that everyone's out to get me and there's marauders and bandits all along the, you know, the roadways, which there probably was <laughs> at some point. <laughs> and our anxiety is not unfounded given our history as humans where there was a lot more danger in travel in times past. But what if 
We name that piece, oh, anxiety, yes, of course, that's that old evolutionary assumption that there's danger everywhere. And now we're given this opportunity to rewrite that and maybe assume the more likely scenario, which is that everything's going to be okay, right? Airplane travel is the safest form of travel. That's such a hard one to get into our systems because... It's such a it such an unnatural thing to go up into the air in these big metal tubes. But it's it's the constant reframe and it's not bypassing. It's not by it's not bypassing those deeper emotional pieces that need attention. Um, it's not Pollyanna, but it's stepping, it's naming all that and working with that and 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 um you know, making space for the emotion and the hard places, and then asking, you know, what can I do to step into a different mindset? And it reminds me of that Fritz Perls quote, fear is excitement without the breath. So travel, I think, brings those experiences very close together. There is fear around doing something new. That's normal. That's okay. But there's also excitement. And when we can breathe into that place of fear, sometimes almost immediately, it can transform into excitement. So I can feel all those places inside of me right now when I think about our upcoming trip. I can feel the habitual place of anxiety of Oh my gosh, and and the list and the overwhelm and getting everything ready and is everything going to be okay? And we have a new cat sitter and is she going to be okay? And all the questions, I can go there. And yeah, it's been a long time since we've traveled and what's it going to be like and being in the airport and COVID and masks and uh, being on the airplane and, you know, none of that thrills me. But when I breathe into it and I think about what is my actual lived experience of travel? It's always positive. Overall, it doesn't mean every minute is positive. But overall, it's always positive. We're creating new memories with our kids. We're going to be in, in new environments. We're going to um, have these experiences together and separately. And I can start to step into where Everest lives of like, it's only excitement for him. And I can, I can tap into that and I can kind of let myself have a new experience of, huh, maybe I don't have to just be in that anxious place and these anxious and overwhelming these days prior to travel. Maybe through my breath, I can open up a space right, and let myself step into that excitement that um, sense of meet, having contact with the world, meeting the world. And like you're saying, Victoria, like who might I sit next to? Who might I be of help to? Yes, look for the angels, but might I also be one like you were to the person that you sat next to? That idea of, I can't remember the exact quote now, but excitement without breath. Like anxiety, fear, fear. fear is excitement without the breath. Yeah, I think for me it's so literal. Like with traveling, like mm-hmm. calming my nervous system with doing breathing practices and or breath work, things like that. Um, mm. It's so literal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like we can go into autopilot of like, oh, this thing is just inherently stressful. So I'm, I just have to feel stressed out. I'm just going to yes. feel stressed out. And we forget, maybe just because we're rushing, that maybe there's something about this thing that I can enjoy. Like maybe packing, yeah, there might be some stress, but maybe also there's something enjoyable about it or even on the plane. Like, Okay, historically, maybe I've been afraid of flying, but can I also think about, oh, I have some time to listen to music and do my mm-hmm. Sudoku puzzles and <laughs> yes. whatever it might be. I feel like even, you know, we did an episode about birthdays and I remember I had a little birthday get together when I was getting ready for that, which can feel similar, like when you're yes. preparing. Yes. 
it was like, can I actually take some pleasure in like arranging some flowers that I'm using for decorations and Mm. take some pleasure in the fact that like I'm giving my bathroom a good cleaning because there are guests who are going to use it. But also now Mm -hmm. I get to have a cleaner bathroom. Like, and what a great reason. (laughs) Yeah. And something you told me once that I think about, I think every time I'm on a plane, Mm. that's so helpful to bring it full circle is you told me that Everest loves turbulence on the plane. Mm -hmm. And so I think that reframe of like, okay, I'm going into the habitual feeling. Mm -hmm. And again, not to bypass the feeling or try to pretend you don't feel it, but to just pause and slow down and breathe long enough to see if maybe there's another option or choice or another way of looking at it or another way of working with it or another channel for that energy. And sometimes other people like Everest can be inspiring because what I find scary, someone else finds thrilling. You know, can I tap into a little bit of that Everest energy? Or like I shared with you, I, from the time I was a little kid, I often think of fictional characters going on journeys. So for me, even if I was just afraid to go to school, you know, I would be thinking Mm -hmm. about Harry Potter or Bilbo Baggins or Dorothy from Mm -hmm. The Wizard of Oz or Anne of Green Gables, like these characters who go on journeys. And I just draw inspiration from those other people, their Mm -hmm. bravery, their excitement, their growth, their strength, um, also feeling in solidarity with their struggle. But I, I just find holding pe- different people in my mind and in my heart, people like Everest, people like Bilbo, you know, whoever, <laughs> find it so helpful. I love that so much. I love that that image of Everest, um, which I've shared with many people, is a source of comfort and a potential portal into a reframe. Um, and it really encapsulates that quote, fear is excitement without the breath, that that they're so closely linked, fear and excitement. And what, what, what is the portal between those? And sometimes it's literally breath. And sometimes it's bringing somebody to mind that has a different response to the same experience. Um, and sometimes it's calling on those imaginal characters. And sometimes it's calling on spiritual practices that provide that doorway It's like a revolving door that transforms fear into excitement. So we are walking through it. We're not walking around it or trying to get rid of it or shaming it. We're walking through it with these allies, with these tools. And when we walk through it completely, we do find something else on the other side quite often. The image that comes to mind for me that's similar to that image of Everest, like in glee when turbulence hits on an airplane, um, is of a roller coaster Mm. that is simultaneously scary and thrilling at the same time. And what do we do? We scream. We throw up our hands and we scream, ah! Um, (laughs) And... It's, it's super fun. I mean, to a degree, there are certain roller coasters that I will not go on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I have had the experience of having fun on roller coasters while also being totally terrified. Yes. Right? Um, And so I think it does bring this full circle of, of how do we as highly sensitive people validate Anything that comes up around travel, knowing that you are not alone and all the different pieces of travel, there's so many components to travel, right? There's, there's the planning and then there's the, the um, packing and then there's the getting to wherever you're going and then there's the actual itinerary. What are you doing each day? And then sometimes there'll be another itinerary of leaving and going someplace else, like a multi-city um, trip a road trip, let's say, which is so much reunion, so much rupture and repair cycles, 
so many opportunities to go through those portals and passageways, what gets stirred up each time. But when we can hold it with the context and with the compassion and knowing that you're not alone, going through any emotion that arises, tending, knowing that it's a healing opportunity, and then inviting yourself to come out on the other side. And sometimes you automatically do come out on the other side into that place of joy and fun and newness and excitement and adventure. And sometimes, like what we're saying, it's more of a conscious reframe of how do I turn this moment, how do I be with it in a way that might transform it into um, into something else? I've also noticed that it feels so vulnerable for me to let myself feel excitement, feel hope, mm-hmm. tap into a part of me that does exist, that is excited, that does want to get on the roller coaster. Like we can get so identified with yes. being the one who doesn't want to take the risk or being the one who stays behind or being the one who keeps me and everyone else safe and And it can just be really vulnerable to actually be like, I'm actually really excited for this trip. I'm just scared something's going to go wrong. Like I'll often get scared that something's going to prevent me from even going in the first Mm. place. Like, oh, Mm. I'm going to get sick beforehand and I won't even be able to get on the plane. You know, Mm -hmm. there's like a letting go and trusting and tapping into like a different part of ourselves that is excited and has hope that it's going to be a good trip and that you know, things aren't going to go catastrophically wrong and and all of that. <laughs> Absolutely. So vulnerable. We are so used to identifying with the anxious mind that it is a huge risk in and of itself. It is, it is a travel in and of itself. It's a departure to leave that mind even for a moment and imagine things going well and letting ourselves be excited and yes, then there's the fear of what if it doesn't happen and, you know, anxious, <laughs> anxious mind is right there ready to step back in. But we work with that piece and we bring compassion to that piece. You know, what comes to mind of being identified with the one that is going to hold back and not going to get on the roller coaster. And um, again, it's, it's, <laughs> it's Everest who is, inviting our family, kind of dragging us sometimes to do new things, which I do still find mind-boggling because I am not exaggerating when I say even just getting in the car was a nightmare Mm. for little baby toddler Everest. Um, That experience, the sensory overload, wherever we were going, the transitional time. But here we are, We're about to go to California and he's going to turn 17 while we're there and we're planning this day for him for his birthday. And we have these options of what we're going to do for the excursion while we're, while we're there. Um, is it going to be going on a glass bottom boat? Well, we've done that before. That's super, super safe, totally within my comfort zone. Um, but there's you know, like 16 different options. There's a zip line. No, mm-mm, 100% no. <laughs> this is me saying, nope, too far outside my comfort zone, Everest, because he's like, yes, for every single one. Um, and then there's a ropes course. And Dave says, I, yeah, I, I could do that. And Asher says, I don't, I don't know. And I say, uh, no, but then I start to look at it and I'm intrigued that Asher's even open to it. So I'm taking his lead. I'm taking Everest's total uber excitement for anything adventurous. And I look at it and I look at everyone strapped in. I look at them climbing the trees and walking across. And I mean, this just looks crazy to me, but <laughs> it also looks kind of fun. <laughs> and so I say, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to book it. Um, so that's what we'll be doing on Everest's birthday. And it's definitely push. I've already had anxious mind going, what if the, what if the ropes break? Like, what if the, <laughs> and I'm like, is it really safe? Like who checks for safety? And, 
And I just have to name, okay, there, there's my good old anxious brain trying to keep me safe, sending me catastrophic images at 2 a.m., which it likes to do, but moving forward anyway and connecting to the bigger impulse, which was, that looks fun. I could see us climbing through the trees and having this new family experience while we're traveling, expanding our horizons. Um, and I also give us full permission to Asher and I, if we get there and we look up and we're like, hell no. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is also 100% okay. We can back out at any time. But we're going to give it a try. Oh, you know what I love about that is I think that, you know, in the last episode about jealousy, I talked about having this overinflated sense of responsibility. Like sometimes mm. my jealousy is me trying to stop my partner from doing anything that could potentially hurt me or him or us. And it's yes. like anxiety just wants us to say to go, okay, zero risk. I'm just going to live with zero risk. And yes. that's just not actually possible. But when we feel like when we have an overinflated sense of what we can control and what is our mm -hmm. fault and what it what we are responsible for, if mm. we believe that we are responsible for us and everyone we love having zero risk of anything bad ever happening, then mm -hmm. it's really hard to make a decision like that. Yes. Well, it's hard to live life. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think not to go off topic, but I think COVID has kind of thrown that into really stark relief too, because we constantly have to make choices based on like, okay, what's the less risky choice? There's like mm. very few zero risk choices and we have yes. to get more comfortable with deciding it's exhausting but um realizing okay there's always some risk and I have to make some choices so I yes. just love that you're naming that to live life there's always going to be some risk and yes. you get to look at different options and choose and own you know like what experience do I want for my family for us like and yes. and what part of myself do I want to give some attention and release? And in addition to talking about honoring your needs like we were at the beginning, there's also that flexibility and that generosity that can come like when you do honor your needs and you do feel solid about, you know what, if it's too much for me when I get there, it's fine. I can mm -hmm. opt out and Dave and Everest can continue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then you can mm -hmm. be more generous and flexible, which is really yes. important in your relationships. So yes. And for yes. yourself. Just living and taking risk. And I love that you're highlighting the risk piece because highly sensitive slash anxious people are risk averse, right? That's part of our temperament is to be risk averse. And that has some very positive qualities to it. Um, we are very conscientious. We are really good problem solvers. We, I think, if there was ever a study done, we probably have a higher safety record <laughs> um, than a more typically wired person. We probably have less accidents and injuries. So it's not all bad to be risk averse, but when that risk aversion prevents you from doing something, from weighing, doing the, the cost-benefit analysis, which absolutely we've had to do in spades during COVID, um, that when it takes over, then it's become a that becomes a problem. And so we're again, we're we're towing that line between pushing ourselves outside the comfort zone, weighing the cost benefits. Is it too risky? Okay, there's going to be risk in anything we do. Leaving the house literally is a risk. But the truth is, because sometimes I use this example and people um over the years have used this example with me. If I, if I listened to my anxiety, I would never get off the couch. Yep. And lately I've been saying, but you know what? That's a risk too because if you're just sitting on the couch, you're pretty unhealthy. Yeah. If that's, 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 not, that's not fully living. Yes. That's not going to serve your wellness. There is nothing we can do that can prevent any, everything bad from happening. But it's, it's recognizing the risk aversion piece. It's naming that to us, it feels like it's safer to stay home. And it probably is. Um, so just leaving the house, just 
traveling from through the front door and going anywhere, right? The very basic definition of travel is a risk. And then being so kind and compassionate to ourselves as we discern how far do we want to push and what comes up along the way as we are stepping outside of our comfort zone. Hmm. Beautiful. So Cheryl, we we both revisited a blog post of yours from a few years ago called Travel Anxiety. And in the blog post, you you included a few questions for people to ask themselves when they're going to be traveling. And it would be great to hear what those questions are because they're, I think, so helpful. Yes, and I think it's part of the reparenting. The inner parenting is just even asking the question sends your inner self, inner selves, the message that there's someone caring, that you care. We are caring about our experience. We are slowing down enough to say, hmm, travel is disruptive and can be dysregulating. So let me pause for 10 minutes and ask myself some questions that, um, that might help me feel a little bit more regulated leading up to the trip and on the trip itself. So, and these hit on three of the four realms of self that I often talk about, the physical realm, the emotional realm, cognitive realm, and the spiritual realm. So in the physical realm, how can I prepare physically so that I feel safe inside? Do I need to make sure we have a kitchen? What food can I bring with me? Do I need to make sure that movement is part of my experience? Is the quality of the mattress essential to a successful trip? In the emotional realm, we can ask, how can I attend emotionally so that I feel safe inside? Do I need to take time each day to find a quiet space and turn inward? How can I make sure that I allow myself to cry if that's what emerges? And in the spiritual realm, we can ask, how can I attend spiritually so that I feel safe inside? What can I bring with me to create a home away from home? Candles, prayer books, other special books, music. That's so helpful. And I love what you said about how just the act of asking those questions is a loving action. Yes, it actually reminds me of that very early work that I was doing around the wedding transition that we focused so much on the externals of planning the perfect wedding, getting everything checked off our boxes on our checklists of the dress and the flowers and the photographers and everything on that external layer. And I think it's the same with travel. Mm. Um, we focus on all those external pieces from the packing to the planning to the itinerary, all of that. And it's important, just like planning your wedding is important. Just like if you are having a baby is getting some of the, the physical material pieces. It's important, but it's not the only important piece. And so these questions can help people turn inward and remember that there's an inner experience, there's an inner world that gets constellated around transitions that is just as important, if not more important, than making sure you pack your toothbrush. Mm. Because, you know, if you forget your toothbrush... If you're going to a city, you can go and buy a toothbrush. If you're in nature, that's a different story. That'd be a bummer. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you would survive. But it's, it's shifting the priorities. We are such an externally referenced culture that it's so easy to sideline the internal world. And so I think the questions, they're just, they're just guideposts. It doesn't even have to be these exact questions, but it's a template to explore your inner world, carve out that time, make it a priority. If you take maybe 20, 10, 20 minutes at bedtime in that liminal, vulnerable realm, that space at night or in the morning or after even retroactively yeah. Yeah. when you get home and if you feel kind of discombobulated, it's never too late 
to check in. Just like you may have hoped somebody would have checked in with you as a child around travel or any kind of separation, anything that required you to leave nest or home. Well, Cheryl, I hope that you and Dave and Everest and Asher have a wonderful hmm. trip next week. Thank I'm going to be thinking about you and sending a prayer for you up in the sky and on your trip. <laughs> and thinking about you on the ropes course. on the course. ropes course. <laughs> <laughs> I really can't wait to see photos of the ropes course. <laughs> Even if I'm standing on the ground, I'll take one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Cheryl. If people want to find more of you and your work online, where should they go? My website is conscious-transitions.com and I'm on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. And you can find me over at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate it, leave a review, share it with a friend. It all helps other people to find the show. Thank you for listening. <laughs>